It's time for Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. Brought to you by Vermal Shoe Store, Randall, Newman Construction, Thielen Meats, and Little Falls, SCR Northern, the guys who answer the phone, Northern Sales and Manufacturing, your Ice Castle dealer in Pine River, Tracker Boating Center of Brainerd, Oars and Mine and Crosby, Pine River State Bank, Bimert Outdoors Archery Pro Shop, Jack Pine Brewery, the official beer of Brainerd Outdoors, Freedom Firearms, The Power Line. Chef Robert's Fish Breading Mix, S&W Bait and Tackle, Crow Wing Recycling, Napa Auto Parts in Baxter, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, Nielsen Hardware and RV, your Central Minnesota Ice Castle dealer, and by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Now, here's your host for Brainerd Outdoors, Ryan Moon. We've got a busy, busy show this week. Matt Brewer is going to drop by here momentarily, talk some sturgeon fishing up on Rainy River, some amazing sharp-tail grouse viewing you can do right now, as well as our current turkey season. Pretty good chance we're going to be doing some cold-water walleye fishing once the opener hits. We'll talk about that. We'll also check in with the DNR and see how our elk population is doing here in the state, plus another great recipe from Chef Joel from Black Bear Lodge and Saloon. All that and more on this week's edition of Brainerd Outdoors. And we'll kick off the show with our Lake and Field Report, brought to you by Oars and Mine and Crosby. No matter if your goal is pike, trout, walleyes, bass, Oars and Mine gives you 10 different ways to get the bite. The next time you're in the Cuyuna area, Oars and Mine is a must-stop located on Highway 6 in Crosby. We head north to Bemidji for the Up North Report. As always, our good friend Matt Brewer with North Country Guide Service at the ready, as he always is. And we've got, as we always do, a lot of stuff to talk to Matt about. Uh, we'll talk a little turkey hunting. That opened up here this past week, and it looks like with this warmer weather, that should knock down some of the snow in the woods, so that should make it a little easier for turkey hunters. We'll also talk a little bit about uh, Sharptail Grouse Society and what Matt's been doing with them. He's a board member of, the, of that. And I guess we'll start off, Matt, maybe talking Rainy River like we have the last few weeks with you because uh, the walleyes have closed up there now. But this is the time of the year, and it's become kind of a destination thing for people now to go up there and, and go after sturgeon. Yeah, that's... Uh we're getting into that time now where things are finally going to start cooperating weather-wise and, and uh, it becomes decision time for me. So I'm sturgeon fishing this weekend and my kids want to go turkey hunting. It's going to be that time where we're going to have to, every, every weekend there's going to be decisions to be made. Do we turkey hunt? Do we mushroom pick? Do we fish? Um, that's all coming very soon and, and for me it's kind of starting this weekend. So. So every year is different up on Rainy River, especially with sturgeon. Uh, we've got all the snow now, and now with the, the warmer weather, we're going to probably have to deal with some runoff there up on Rainy Mat. Uh, what are you hearing? Are anglers having some pretty good luck up there, and the conditions pretty good? Yeah, you know, walleye season just closed this past week, so um, so I'm still seeing walleye pictures from <laughs> from people who who were out. Um, but I have I have started to see quite a few sturgeon pictures and. And I've talked to a couple people who already already slid up there for a day, and and uh, the fish are, are biting. The river isn't open quite as far as I would like. You know, I'd love it to be all the way to the gap, but it's not quite there yet. And uh, that means you can't quite get to some of those deeper staging areas like the gap itself and, and uh, Wheeler's Point, Four Mile Bay there. Um, but people that are finding fish along, along the river in some of the deeper holes... Um, and if they can get there fast enough and get and get that hole to themselves, they're they're catching fish that are sliding up because the fish are basically just uh, you know they'll they'll stage either in or on the edge of a hole, and then uh, they'll kind of catch their energy and then they'll make a run up to the next hole and then they'll stop and rest and uh, you're you're going to want to set up somewhere on the edge or 
front side, back side, or in the middle of a hole. They can be in any of those locations, but, but there are plenty of holes along the way, all the way up to International Falls. So you just gotta, you just gotta find, find some of those spots on the map and, and go from there. But, uh, the traditional spots are not, are not good yet because there's, there's still a little bit of ice. So. And we had our Everything Expo last weekend, Matt, and I had a listener come up to me and they said they had heard you talking about sturgeon fishing up there the last couple of years. And they, they said, Matt makes it sound so fun. And they said, we're going to try it for the first time this year. And they started asking me questions about, you know, how to go about it and where to go and all that. And I said, you're asking the wrong guy. So I will pose that question to you uh, for a rookie that's heading up there, Matt. What would you tell them? Um, the aforementioned things about, uh, you know, location, you're going to gonna want to look for those those holes or or current seams or or things like that um, basically try to think like a fish like if you're trying to swim against the current to go lay eggs um, you know what's going to be your path of least resistance and and if you get tired where are you going to stop to rest um, and if you can if you can kind of think that way and figure that out you're you're probably going to be in line with some fish and then you just gotta be patient I mean you're, you're waiting for fish to move it's not like summer walleye fishing where you're you're trying to find fish, trying to find fish, trying to find fish. I mean, you can you can move from spot to spot, but don't stop to spot and fish for five minutes and say, "Well, they're not here," because I've sat in a spot for two hours waiting for one bite, and then all of a sudden that one bite happens, and then four more happen, and you know you get to run a fish that comes through. So be patient, and then uh, use the right equipment. Um, I see so many people. Um, you know, if, if you catch them on accident during walleye season, that, that's one thing. You know, you're you're going to put a lot of stress on the fish, but, you know, the water's cold and, and they can handle it and they're pretty hardy fish. But uh, but if you're going up there specifically targeting them, you kind of owe it to the fish to to use the right equipment. So, you know, like musky or downrigger gear, something, something strong with some, like, 80-pound braid. Um, and then make sure you've got a variety of no-roll sinkers and then 12 to 18 uh, 12 to 18 inch leader with, uh, with a nice big hook. You can use circle hooks or, uh, or you can use, uh, octopus hooks, the larger ones, or even, even J hooks or KLs work just fine. Um, we always recommend circle hooks so that you don't hook a fish deep, but, um, but typically you're not going to, they, they're, a, they're a suck and spit fish. So, you know, they'll suck in that bait and try to spit it out and, uh, you know, they kind of test the water before they fully inhale it. And when they try to spit it out, a lot of a lot of times that that hook will stick. And then, and then when you set the hook, obviously you're driving it home in into the lip. So those are kind of the the basics, I guess. Um, right gear, be patient, and uh, and find those current seams and holes, and and, uh, and set up shot. Biggest sturgeon you've ever caught? Uh, last year, I got a sixty-eight. What was it? Sixty-eight and a quarter, big fish. But uh, but I've seen bigger in my boat. <laughs> um, I I I'll never live down. No matter how big of uh, a sturgeon I catch, I will have to. I, I think I'll have to eclipse the like ninety-six pound mark before uh, before I can finally say, oh look, I I've got you beat. So uh, seen a lot bigger, but uh, but last year I was able to get my personal best, which was fantastic. You know, and people that are maybe new to the show, Matt, or even new to sturgeon fishing or, or new to the species, they forget how old these fish, you, you mentioned that fish you just caught, that was a very old fish, I'm sure. Yeah, and I don't have my chart on me, and um, since I won't be uh, fishing sturgeon until, what, 
20 hours from now. Um, I don't have it memorized or even close to, but, you know, you're talking 40, 50-year-old fish, um, fish that are much older than me. Um, it's, it's always funny. Uh, I think it's like, I, I can't remember the size. It's like a 48-incher or something like that is the same age as me. And uh, every year we're always like, all right, to catch one the same age, you know, what length do we need? <laughs> And it's it's pretty cool to be able to catch a fish that you know that's been swimming that river and living in the lake and and hanging out in that area um, since birth. So kind of kind of neat. Are some of those fish in the, in there tagged, Matt? Yeah, there's a lot that are tagged. Our best year, we had three tagged fish that we caught. Some fish that we've caught that were tagged when we were, when we reported them, they it shows you a record uh, after you report the fish. It shows you a record of um, other people who have caught it. Um, you know, and how long it was at that time and where it was caught on the river and what the date was and things like that. And that's pretty cool when you catch one that's been caught three or four times and you can see, you know, where it traveled and where it was caught and, and how many years in between stuff like that's really neat. So if you, if you're lucky enough to get a tagged one, make sure you report it and, and get the, get that record. Cause it's, it's really fun. I've, I've hung on to all of them that we've caught that were tagged and, uh, I hung on to those records just because it's something kind of cool. For sure. Uh, so we'll recap next week uh, how Matt did on his sturgeon trip up there. I guess we'll also re- recap how you do on your turkey hunt this coming weekend too, Matt, because that opened up this past Wednesday. And as I said in the open, uh, with this warmer weather should knock down some of the snow. I'm thinking those that are going out this weekend to turkey hunt who drew this season, they ought to be in pretty good shape outside of the fact that they're still kind of hemmed up a little bit. Yeah, they're still in winter groups, definitely. Um, saw some birds today, um, and there were like 30 in a field. So, you know, that tells you they're they're still grouped up pretty <laughs> pretty good. But I think this warmer weather is going to start to break the birds up and and uh, get the toms a little more fired up and and uh, a little more call receptive. Um, my kids, they can hunt, you know, A through F. They can hunt the entire season. So I'm going to try to get them out maybe Sunday here. Uh, it's supposed to be pretty warm, and and I need to get out and do some more scouting anyway because my season, the season B, starts next Wednesday. I, I kind of want to get a grip on things, and then obviously I'll I'll probably take them with me if they aren't able to to get it done on on Sunday, um, or if one of them gets one, obviously the other one will take along with me during my season. And I I need to get a grip on what's going on, so I think Sunday, regardless of uh, of what uh, what we have going on i think i'm going to try to get the kids out at least for at least for an evening sit or something try to roost some birds or, or at least do some scouting but um tara one of the girls that does promotions for us she she was able to kill her bird wednesday morning she i think she was sending me pictures by like 8 30 so so she had a nice quick hunt and and said that the birds actually responded to the call a little bit because they pitched out of the tree and went the opposite direction and then and then she said that uh she got a hen nice and angry, and the hen came came into the call and uh, and brought toms with her. So, so that's kind of what you're doing right now. You're you're not necessarily trying to call toms. Um, you're trying to communicate with hens and get them angry. And if you can get them in your decoys, they're going to bring toms with them because <laughs> the toms are attached to their backs right now. So, and what do we need to get these groups broken up a little bit, Matt, and get some of these toms to go off on their own? Is it just uh, warmer weather triggers that, or is it just time? Yeah, time and uh, and warmer weather. I, I mean, I, I think they're confused a little bit. The food is going to drive 
a lot of the hens. So uh, right now they're still stuck eating certain things that they would, you know, throughout the winter. They, uh, they're not getting fresh sprouts from under leaves in the, in the aspens and, uh, you know, the ground's still frozen. So, and they're not getting uh, loose leftover grains from most of the fields um, because there's still snow on the fields. Hopefully that'll change this weekend. And then, you know, and then they'll start to break up because they, they can go more places to eat and, uh, you know, the, the hens aren't going to want to stick together per se and they'll start to break up and then that'll, that'll force the toms to break up as well. And then, and then hopefully after that, then the hens will start really moving around and, uh, you know, they'll start checking out nesting habitat and stuff like that. And, and then the toms will, you know, they'll start searching a little more heavily. And when they start searching, that's when they become very call receptive and and that's when you go bang (laughs) you make it sound so simple matt uh one last thing i wanted to talk to you about and that is your involvement with the uh, sharp tail grouse society uh you've got some things coming up and some things you've actually been busy with there too yeah right now is prime time for and i encourage everyone to do this it's something you have to do once in your lifetime the sharp tail sharp tails are dancing right now on the lex so uh, the males are, are displaying for females on the lex. So, you know, the, the DNR, kind of in conjunction with uh, the Sharptail Grouse Society, we've helped with blind placements and blind building, blind purchases and things like that. Um, you can reserve blinds. And you reserve a blind and you show up, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, and you get to witness one of nature's coolest shows, clicking their tails together and stomping their feet and spreading their wings out, dancing like crazy. And uh, it is it is absolutely breathtaking. And I actually was lucky enough this morning um, to be out with uh, with a filmmaker who was capturing some video of sharp tails dancing, and and I was there representing the Minnesota Sharp Tail Grouse Society. And and I of course brought my camera with and was able to catch uh, a lot of really cool images. But you, you definitely have to do it once in your lifetime, and then. After you do that, then you have to go check out the prairie chickens booming because they're they're also dancing right now and they they've got this loud booming sound and they fill up these huge air sacs in their necks and um, really something to witness. You, I, I encourage everyone to do it. It's it's super cool and the way you do it is you can either uh, check with local DNR offices and they should be able to point you in the right direction. Otherwise, the easiest way is to go to sharptails.org, which is our website. And under our resources page, we've got all the phone numbers and contact information for all of the viewing blinds. And you just call those, uh, call those numbers, reserve your date, and then, uh, and then they'll give you maps and, and you show up early enough and you will not regret it. And it doesn't cost a dime. It's, it's something, something super cool. So. And is that if somebody wants to get involved with the uh, Sharp Tail Grouse Society too, Matt? I'm sure you guys are always looking for some new members. Um, is that a good place to go for that too? Yeah, uh, we are, out of all the conservation groups in Minnesota, we are one of the cheapest to join. Um, we always encourage people to, to buy the larger memberships or to add a donation to their membership. But we are complete non, not-for-profit, and we don't have any any full-time workers or part-time workers. It's all volunteers. So every dime you spend um, goes into habitat improvement or or we do land acquisitions. So every dime goes into into conservation and helping out the birds. So again, sharptails.org, go there. We we would love members, as many as possible, because we need to get the word out um, about these birds because the more you help 
habitat for sharp tail, you're helping deer, you're helping fox, you're helping prairie birds, um, you're helping sandhill cranes, all of, you know, all these ground nesting birds that, that need the CRP and prairie grass, and even, you know, does, they like to hide their fawns in this thick prairie grass so that predators can't get to them, and and they can uh, adequately feed and, and leave them there safely. So you're helping more than just one species. Uh, you're helping a plethora. So. so check that out. That's Matt Brewer, North Country Guide Service in Bemidji. You can check Matt out, northcountryguides.com. Also link up to all his social media there as well, Matt. Very active on that front too. Matt, I appreciate it. Good stuff as always. We covered a lot of stuff with you this week, and uh, we'll look forward to hearing how your hunt and your fishing trip goes uh, next week. Okay, bud? Sounds good. More of Brainerd Outdoors after this. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. And a nice treat this week. Uh, We're joined by the first time on the show, uh, John Thielen, who's the host of Lindy's Fishhead TV on Fox Sports North. Joins us. We're going to talk some uh, cold water walleye tactics. I'm sure we'll, that's going to be the situation we're going to be in. I think as we hit an opener, and also some shore fishing tactics as well, because many are going to be maybe taking part in that. First off, John, welcome to Brainerd Outdoors. Well, thank you. It's uh, it's great to be on the show, and and uh, I think you're right. I think we're going to have some cold water fishing coming up here in a couple of weeks. I think you're right too. Uh, so we'll get to that here in just a bit. For those that aren't familiar with you, John. Uh, maybe a little background on, on how you got started in this business and, and a little bit about the show that, that you host there on Fox Sports North. Sure. Well, I'm going to date myself a little bit. I'm going to age myself a little is actually what I'm going to do here. But, uh, you know, I got started in the industry full-time about 20 years ago. I, and I started through tournament fishing and, and uh, actually with the In Fisherman Professional Walleye Trail. I spent a bunch of years fishing that and and I was fortunate enough to have some success there and, and make a few championships and, and have some good runs in the Angler of the Year race. And and ultimately, it was really a springboard to the rest of my career, which got into, got into teaching people to fish more than anything. I, that's that's really what I enjoy doing and, and spending time, you know, teaching people to fish any species. And, and I've been able to do that through magazines and and you know, working with a lot of different writers. I've been able to do it through various radio shows. And and now for the last four years, I've been the host of Lindy's Fish Ed Television on Fox Sports North. And we also are on Fox Michigan and, and we're also on Fox Midwest and up in Canada on Wild TV. So the show has really grown. And uh, man, I, I love the opportunity to be out on the water and, and doing what I love and, and sharing sharing what I what I what I've been lucky enough to get to do with with a lot of viewers every Saturday morning. What is what separates your show from the others that are out there? Is there anything specific? Well, I think the number one thing that we focus on is, you know, I, one of the things that's happened in the TV industry, and it's it's just the way it is, is so much of it has become a situation where it's constant product talk, and and you know everybody's got to pay the bills one way or another. And I, I've been very fortunate that as we concepted Lindy's Fish Ed Television, we have put together a, a show that doesn't have to talk about products nonstop. You'll, you'll get to see the products that I use, but we really focus on tactics. I really focus on trying to teach people how to catch fish versus every single little product that I use. And, and again, you know, I understand the scenario that a lot of shows are in out there. you, you got to pay the bills, but I've been fortunate that Lindy and Pradco Fishing, their parent company, has paid all the bill on this show because we we really do want to just focus on teaching people how to fish, how to fish those Lindy products, 
and how to catch more fish and enjoy more time on the water. Because let's face it, the more the more fish everybody catches, the more often they're going to go fishing. The more apt they are to bring a kid fishing, the the more apt they are to be become a more avid fisherman. And and I think that's really important in today's world. So that would be the difference with our show. We really do focus on trying to teach the the viewer tactics that'll help them catch fish when they go out on their own lake. Walleye is your favorite to go after, or you basically just getting out on the water is your favorite? It's kind of funny. Kind of a hidden secret that I have is, is man, I love fall crappie fishing. It's, it's something I've always really enjoyed. But walleyes are my favorite, and, and primarily because I built my career around walleye fishing. I, I was a guide on Mille Lacs Lake for, oh, geez, eight or nine years. I did it full time, and, and, you know, the tournament fishing, that based around walleye. So, realistically yeah walleyes are my favorite but walleyes are kind of my favorite by default because that's where i was able to build my career and you mentioned malax would you say that's one of your favorite lakes Uh, it's kind of hard to pick just one but is that one of your favorite lakes here in the state to fish oh sure you know and, and i mean i enjoy fishing all over the state i enjoy fishing all over the midwest i did grow up fishing malax i i grew up in anoka just a couple hours south of brainerd and and it was an easy drive for my dad and I when I was a kid up to Mille Lacs Lake. And that is where we spent a lot of our time fishing. But I had grandfathers that had cabins in Alexandria and another one on Leech. So, you know, we got to a lot of different places. Um, we spend our weekends now up on Mille Lacs Lake. And my youngest son is 17 years old, and he's got buddies up there every weekend. And, and you know, while you can't keep anything there right now, I'll tell you what, it sure is fun to go out and catch as many fish as, as are willing to bite. And, and you know, the, the thing about these colder water tactics is if you just make a couple little changes, you're going to be able to catch fish. I mean, there's there will be people that, that say, boy, those first few days after the ice goes off, it's really hard to catch them. And, and you know what, at times it can be, but you can still catch them if you make some adjustments. And, and we can certainly talk about some of those today. I think bait selection is a big deal. If we're gonna if we're gonna have cold water, which I fully expect on opener, about every five years we have one of these. And if you if you didn't make it on the last opener, you're ten years removed from this weather. <laughs> it was actually two thousand thirteen, if I remember correctly, there was still ice on the shores on Malax Lake on opener. But that year, every time we dropped a leech in the water, that leech would ball up. And and if that leech is all balled up, the odds are that that leech is not going to catch you a fish. So one of the things that I change right away, if we're going to, if we're going to have cold water is I'm going to fish minnows and I'm going to fish minnows because they're, they're already acclimated to that water temp. Um, you know, you put them in a bait tamer in your live well and you've got water running into that live well. And those, those minnows are, are going to be in great shape where the leeches, they just can't handle that, that super cold water when they get dropped in. So Ultimately, that's one of the things I'm going to change right away is I'm, I'm going to go to minnows. Second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to put far less action on whatever the tactic is I'm using. So if I'm, if I'm Lindy rigging and I might have, when the fish are super aggressive, I might be holding that Lindy rig, you know, just six inches to a foot off the bottom, that weight. And, and I might be using a heavier weight and moving a little bit faster. What I'm going to do as soon as I get in that cold water is, well, I'm going to be using a minnow. The other thing I'm going to be doing is I'm also going to be probably moving as slow as I can make my boat move. I'm going to lighten that weight up a little bit. Maybe I'm going to go all the way down to an eighth ounce if I can get away with it. And then I might even at times just drag that weight 
further back away from the boat and just let that let that uh, minnow just work his way along, you know, right along the bottom, barely moving, because I don't feel like the fish are going to be up and as active if we're right behind the spawn. A lot of times they're they're laying a little bit tighter to the bottom and moving just a little slower, giving them a little more time to jump up and hit it can make a huge, huge difference too. And one thing I want to throw in about fishing minnows, whether we're fishing a jig or a lindy rig, keep this in mind. If, if you're lindy rigging, you really want your minnow to be moving. You want him alive. Just hook him through that soft spot in the upper lip. Don't go up through the skull and drag a dead minnow around. It can make a big, big difference if that minnow can actually put a little swimming action down there on his own. Now, if I'm jigging and I'm jigging really, really aggressively, it's going to be a little bit easier for me to justify letting that minnow die as I hook him. But if, if you're going to be just kind of dragging jig a little bit, you know, maybe you're going to downsize your jig just like we are a Lindy rig. Maybe you're going to go down to a 16th ounce jig, maybe an eighth and just drag it along. There's nothing wrong with lip hooking a minnow at that point and letting that minnow struggle along a little bit as well, because that's just added natural action down there that can help. You know, one of the things you hear, John, uh, when you're fishing cold water, a lot of times, a lot of anglers, I always say fish slow. And I think sometimes anglers don't know, especially those that don't get out a lot, really know what that means. And I think that's also a mistake, and myself included. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what you actually mean when you say fish slow. Sure. You know, if I'm in the middle of summer and that that, that bite is just going crazy and fish are just going nuts, I might go with a Lindy rig 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7 miles an hour. I might actually be really moving along. Now, one of the cool things is most everybody's running some type of GPS unit in their boat now. So you can get a real-time speed by looking at that GPS. I'll spend a lot of time, I, I run Humminbird Electronics. Everybody else makes good stuff too. They'll all give you the ability to look at your speed while you're drifting along. But what I'm looking at now is I'm going to try to get down to 0.3, you know, maybe 0.4. And there's there's various things you can do to get to those speeds. You know, maybe you're drifting and it means putting a second drift sock out. If you're trying to troll, maybe maybe it means just dialing it down a little more. Maybe you're using a drift sock in conjunction with, with your trolling motor. But the reality of it is slowing way down is not really slowing way down, okay? It's what you're used to on opener where you might be going 0.7, you know, maybe you're up to 0.8. You're not, you're not slowing down two or three miles an hour. But you, you might be slowing down half a mile an hour, maybe four-tenths, three-tenths of a mile an hour, and that can make a huge, huge difference. The other thing that I would say, too, and I've seen this happen a lot of times, especially in cold water early in the year, is getting your bait further away from the boat can make a big difference. So, you know, just a few minutes ago, I was talking about lightening up. In, in lightening up that weight that you're using, Getting that bait back further away from the boat can make a big, big difference. Is it the fact that the water's a little clearer at this time of the year? Very well could be. You know, on a lot of our natural lakes, that runoff just doesn't dirty it up if the wind's not actually blowing and, and, and you know, it's, we're not talking a river situation here. So maybe the boat bothers them a little bit in that colder water. But the other thing is we are usually fishing a little shallower in those cold water springs. And, you know, here we are this year you might be catching fish in five, six, seven feet of water. And if you're drifting over the top of them or, or back trolling over the top of them or pulling along with your, 
your trolling motor, what you might find out is you're spooking some fish. So getting out further away from the boat can make a big, big difference and in using that lighter weight. And one last thing I wanted to talk to you about, John, and that is uh, with some of the ice that may be on some of these lakes, uh, we might be fishing closer to shore or from shore. Uh, maybe sure. a few tactics on that as well. Man, I, I think shore fishing is really overlooked. I'll, I'll give you a couple things that I firmly believe in, and I use these same things from the boat as well. Um, number one, remember this. With with this late spring, the walleyes are still going to be near spawning grounds. So if you're picking spots to fish from shore, you know, think about those areas that you've read about over the years or you've seen on TV that are spawning areas. And what that's going to be is, is your pea gravel type stuff, your harder bottom, your sand. You know, this isn't going to be your muddy bottom stuff. It's not going to be your weedy stuff. So you can rule out a lot of areas. If you've got a lake, now obviously you're not going to have a lot of weed growth this year when, when opener comes. I mean, that's just not going to be there because of the cold water. But if you know where those weeds usually grow, you're probably talking a softer bottom there. And you're probably in a situation where that's not where they're spawning. They're usually going to spawn more in those hard bottom areas, the gravel stuff, the sand stuff. So, so the first thing I would do is, is, is eliminate about half the lake and get down to those areas. And maybe it's even more than that. But those areas from shore are going to hold more fish. Then the other thing is just understanding that it, it's so easy to cast from shore and bring it back too fast. Remember when you're bringing it back, take your time. I mean, it's, it's nothing for me to cast an eighth ounce jig with a minnow and take a couple minutes to work it all the way back. And I can stand next to somebody who takes 30 seconds to bring it back because when you're standing there on shore, you feel like you're not moving. Ultimately, you got to think about how fast am I moving that bait? And you really want to dial it down. I mean, you want to bring it back slow, let it sit on the bottom, give it a little left, a couple, couple turns of the reel, let it settle again. Work it back really slow. Give them time to get it. Because you got to understand that you might be casting an eighth-ounce jig right to where they're sitting. And if you bring it the first 10 feet too fast, they might not chase it back up that ledge quite as willingly as they might chase it down a ledge if you were in the boat. So slow down, especially at the beginning of your retrieve, and give those fish time if they're sitting right in that six, seven, eight feet of water where we're most likely going to be able to cast to. The other thing I would say is use a light, use the lightest jig you can if you're casting. Remember, the fall rate is going to be much faster with a quarter-ounce jig than an eighth-ounce jig. And a lot of times, that slower fall each time you lift it will trigger more strikes in cold water than that faster fall you'll get with the heavier quarter-ounce jig. And then there's one last thing I would add. There's a gold mine opportunity, if you can find it, that that I've seen on a lot of lakes over the years, and I use this when I'm casting from my boat or casting from shore. If you can find a creek coming in that's bringing water at this time of the year, it's just a magnet. And what's going to happen this year, I, I think, is with this late melt and, and everything going on, the water table's pretty high. If we get just a little bit of rain those last couple days before opener, it, it's going to be pretty cool. There's going to be a a lot of little areas where there's inlets of water flushing into lakes, fish those areas, you know, pitch into that little bit of current, pitch into those areas, and you'll find a lot of times that it's just a magnet for fish that have finished spawning 
and they're over there grabbing whatever food is flushing into the system. Some great stuff from John Thielen. He is the uh, host of Lindy's Fishhead TV on Fox Sports North. Uh, John, if people want more information on you, uh, your TV show, and, and what you're up to, what's the easiest place to find all that? You know, I've got I've got a Facebook page. It's actually called Professional Angling Promotions slash my name, John J O N P Thielen. Um, you can you can find what I'm doing. You can you can kind of watch where I'm going around the country right there. Um, the other place that's really great is if you haven't seen the TV show or if you don't have time to see the TV show, you can go to Lindy Fishing Tackle's YouTube channel. And right there, we put all of these fish ad episodes up there. So you can you can look at archived shows from years. And there's there's always something there that no matter what the tactic is you're looking to go do, we've got a video out there to, to help you learn how to how to do this. And, and once you watch some of those, you might say, Hey, that, that might be one of my new favorite shows to watch on Saturdays. And, and the new shows for Lindy's fish Ed will kick off in December next year and uh, run again through the end of March. So, so there's, there's a lot of opportunity out there though, to see these episodes, um, whether it be on TV or online. John Thielen, host of Lindy's fish Ed TV Saturday mornings on Fox sports North. John, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. I know you're a busy guy. Uh, and hopefully we can have you on the show again here real soon. I'd love to, and I'm, I'm never too busy to talk fishing. There's nothing better in the world to get to talk about than fishing. So so anytime, Brian, I, I appreciate you having me on today. Good luck to everybody on opener. All right, when we come back, we'll switch gears to elk. What's our Minnesota elk population like right now? We'll talk to Doug Frankie with the Minnesota DNR when we come back to Brainerd Outdoors. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. And a little interesting topic this week. I know we've been talking a lot about uh, fishing and getting ready for fishing opener. But uh, we're going to go off the beaten path a little bit this week and talk about uh, something that I don't know necessarily if a lot of people know we have here in the state of Minnesota, and that is an elk population. We are joined by Doug Frankie. He is an area wildlife supervisor with the Minnesota DNR up in Thief River Falls. Doug, welcome to Brainerd Outdoors. Glad to be here. T- tell us a little bit about this elk population. We've talked briefly about it uh, on the show a few times, but it seems to be growing, which is a, a good thing. Yes. Uh, a lot of people are, do misunderstand the fact that we have elk in Minnesota. We have for uh, many years, uh, several decades, in fact. Uh, kind of started out with the elk herd in the Grigla area, its early start was back in the in the eighties, and so the it, it kind of waxed and waned over time. And eventually, there were some elk that came out of Canada, up in Kitson County as well, and they established uh, three different herds uh, along that area. So it's it's continuing to expand. Uh, they are doing it mostly on their own, and uh, however, over in Grigla, we that population is is shrinking. So the, the elk populations have kind of waxed and waned over the years. And for those that maybe put a geographical thing on this, this is mostly in the northwestern part of the state, almost the extreme northwestern part, right? Yeah, that's correct. Mostly limited to Kitson County primarily. Some in they overlap in the Rosa County, and then, uh, of course, the Grigler herd in Marshall County. So it's just kind of a very isolated uh, small area in the northwest. You mentioned there's three different herds. You mentioned the Grigler herd. Well, the other one is, I believe, the caribou vita herd? Yeah, that's what we also nickname our border herd, and that one crosses back and forth from the Canadian side of the the border to the Minnesota side, and they're quite often uh, in Minnesota. 
during the, the winter, um, but they they spend quite a bit of time in Canada as well, just literally uh, well, less than a mile across the border at times. And you mentioned they're increasing their population, albeit slowly, but uh, they're doing it pretty much on their own. Does that surprise you guys a little bit? Well, not really. I guess you know, when we get uh, an elk population to where they're at, you get enough cows, the population can overcome natural mortality. Is they're hunted on a limited basis in the on the border. The border herd uh, is is hunted very limited. The Kitson County herd is still hunted. They're they're under a management plan to keep the elk herd between uh, you know fifty and sixty animals for the Kitson County herd, and then the Grigler herd is thirty to thirty five. Uh, so we 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 do operate under a management plan, and we hunt them when they uh, exceed those levels. And so the, the elk population in Kitson County is, is starting to have enough cows where they can reproduce and, and overcome natural mortality and expand uh, their population. This past year, uh, for example, I'll go to the Grigla herd first, and that, that one has, is, is shrinking over time. We're, we're just at 15 animals, which is a fairly small number. Uh, it was as high as 50 to 55 animals in the uh, mid 2000s uh so that one's have is struggling over there the, the kitson county lancaster block as we call it uh where we have elk in three different locations their population was at 75 this year two herds there was 75 animals and then the, the border herd we were ap- uh, a- actually able to uh, get uh, a survey done with the Canadians again, so we surveyed them the same day, so we count both sides of the survey, or the both sides of the border. And that was at uh, 126 animals uh, total between both sides. Of course, only seven of them were in Minnesota at the time, so they, they can really wax and wane number-wise. Now, you guys are, are, there's continuing research going on too, right? There is several animals collared. That was two years ago. We, uh, in the winter, had a contract crew uh, put collars on 25 different elk, and they're all cows, and they were mostly in the Kitson County, Lancaster block. They are due to be dropped. The collars will drop off here this, this summer. So we're just finishing up um, a project with the University of Minnesota graduate pro- uh, program, and they're helping us uh, primarily looking at uh, use of uh, habitat during uh, mostly the growing season, the summer months. That's all we have set up for now, and hopefully we can get some continued research in the future. That area up there, I mean, is it pretty conducive habitat for elk compared to what you know they have in the western part of the country where they thrive? Elk are an open landscape species, so for the most part, they're they they do very well in this transition from prairie to brush, and you know historically before human or mostly uh, I guess white settler settled the area. The elk were very common all the way to central Minnesota, mostly on this western edge in the open. They're not a not traditionally a forested species in this part of this, this uh, country, so it's it's a it's a good mix of of habitat for elk, and they have quite a bit of habitat they could expand into. 
couple more things before we let you go, Doug. We're talking with uh, Doug Frank. He's an area wildlife supervisor with the Minnesota DNR and Thief River Falls and, and our elk population, which people don't really know a lot about here in the state of Minnesota. Are you getting a little bit of blowback, though? I'd imagine there's probably some landowners and some farmers up in that area. Are there issues sometimes with elk causing some damage up there? Yes, there, there's documented over the years where uh, elk can... Uh, as as other wildlife species in Minnesota have, you know, they cause depredation, as we call it, to uh, elk primarily are standing crops in the summer and sometimes stored forage in the winter where people have hay or other stored forages. And and that program is, is monitored quite closely. There is compensation for the damages uh, that elk cause on agriculture, and that's administered through the uh, Minnesota Department of Agriculture. So there is there is some compensation program for it right now, and I you know there our goal is to keep them away from agriculture when we can, and uh, help those uh, farmers understand elk you know, movements and help out on a depredation program. One last thing, uh, Doug, you did mention, and I know this isn't your area of expertise, but uh, you did mention that, that we do have uh, limited hunting seasons for elk. I would imagine once that gets set in place as to how many permits will be issued and all that, that's still pending. Um, just keep an eye on the DNR website and for information if maybe somebody wants to get in on that. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, there, there will be, you know, we mentioned there were 75 elk in the Lancaster herd, so there. That that will trigger a hunt, and that's being uh, discussed right now as far as number of permits. But, yeah, pay attention to the website. You'll be able to apply for some permits this next year. It's a once-in-a-lifetime hunt, like the moose hunt was. And uh, so that's, yeah, look for It's a great opportunity. They're one of the largest elk subspecies in North America, so there's some really nice nice elk in that herd. Some good stuff from uh, Doug Frankie. He's the area wildlife supervisor with the DNR up in Thief River Falls and kind of uh, shedding some light on our elk population here in Minnesota, which a lot of people I'm sure do not know we have. Doug, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. It was good stuff and uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you down the line. Yeah, you're very welcome, Brian. Take care. And we'll have more of Brainerd Outdoors after this. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors and time for our Hungry Hunters segment. We're joined by Chef Joel, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, 371 North and Baxter. And Joel, keeping out with the theme, we're all over the place on the show this week. We've talked fishing, walleye, sturgeon. We've talked sharp-tailed grouse, turkey, elk last segment. Why don't we go to the air this time and talk about a great duck recipe you got. Duck tacos with pickled onion relish. That's right. So, so far, first off, we're going to start off with uh, start off pickling our onions. We're going to start making our onion relish. We'll start off with, uh, with some water, salt, vinegar, and a little bit of sugar. Bring that up to, uh, to a boil in a saucepan. Once we got it going a uh, nice rapid boil, we'll drop in some uh, diced up red onions, serrano pepper, uh, diced jalapeno, and a little bit of garlic, a little uh, salt, a little pepper. Bring that back up to a boil, then turn the heat down to a simmer. Let that simmer for like five minutes, um, just enough to kind of soften up all the, all the onions and peppers. We'll take that off the heat, let it cool down. We want to serve it, serve it cold over our tacos. So let that, let that cool down. While that's chilling, we can start making the rub for our duck. It's going to be uh, a kosher salt, fresh black pepper, ground cumin, chili powder, granulated garlic, and a little bit of cayenne pepper for a little bit of heat. Mix all that together. Start with our duck breast. We'll score the score the duck breast skin, nice about quarter inches uh, quarter inches apart. 
just so that skin gets nice and crispy. We want that, that nice crispy skin on our duck. Now that we got our, our duck breasts all nice and uh, scored, let's dredge them in our, our rub, get them nice and heavily seasoned. Then we're going to take that right to the hot grill. Do a skin side down first. Want to get the skin nice and crispy like we talked about. About five minutes on the side, flip it over, continue cooking. Looking to get about a you know 125, 130, 130 degrees for our temperature on the inside. About a mid-rare. Don't want to overcook our duck. Pull it off the grill, let it rest for a little bit before we slice it. We're going to slice it down real nice and thin, about as, I mean, as thin as you possibly can go. Use a real nice sharp knife. Want good thin pieces. Layer them up on some uh, flour tortillas, a little bit of our pickled onion relish, and we can top it off with a little fresh cilantro to finish the deal. Sounds great. Two things on this. One, I want to revert back to something you said, and I, I don't think we can really stress this enough, overcooking the duck. Duck is so, I, and I don't have a ton of experience with cooking with duck, but it's very easy to dry out. It is very easy to dry out. For sure. That's why I mean, you want to go on skin side first in, in five minutes, you know, making sure you're not uh, darkening the, the skin too much and flip it over for you know, just another couple extra minutes, nothing much. Absolutely. So, and one other thing, if people maybe don't have, maybe they want to try this right away because they're going, oh, that sounds awesome, but they don't have a duck laying around the house. Anything else that maybe they could work into this? Um, you could probably, you know, realistically you could do chicken. If you had chicken laying around, um, even... You could really do anything with this with this taco, I think. So give it a shot. It sounds awesome. You can head to our website to try it, BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com. Just click on the uh, recipes tab, and you can try duck tacos with pickled onion relish. Chef Joel, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon. Thanks, Joel. Thank you, Brian. And that'll put a wrap on this week's show. Don't forget, you can catch Brainerd Outdoors really all over the place now. A variety of ways for you to listen, so you have no excuse for missing any shows. Uh, well, first off, you can catch it over the air right here on B93.3, 7 a.m. Saturday morning. 7 p.m. Sunday evenings and Monday mornings at 5. You can also stream the show live at BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com. Click on the Listen Live tab. That's also where you can listen on demand, one of the ways. We'll get to the others here in a second. While you're at the website, check out our sponsors page, links to all of our great sponsors. And yeah, podcasts, anywhere you listen to podcasts right now, you can find Brainerd Outdoors, whether it be iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podcast One, Stitcher, you name it. Search Brainerd Outdoors, subscribe, and listen at your convenience. And don't forget to give us a like on Facebook. We'll see you next weekend for Brainerd Outdoors. I'm Brian Moon. Brainerd Outdoors has been brought to you by Vernal Shoe Store, Randall, Newman Construction, Thielen Meats, and Little Falls, SCR Northern, the guys who answer the phone, Northern Sales and Manufacturing, your Ice Castle dealer in Pine River, Tracker Boating Center of Brainerd, Oars and Mine and Crosby, Pine River State Bank, Bimert Outdoors Archery Pro Shop, Jack Pine Brewery, the official beer of Brainerd Outdoors, Freedom Firearms, The Power Lodge, Chef Robert's Fish Breading Mix, s W Bait and Tackle, Crow Wing Recycling, Napa Auto Parts in Baxter, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, Nielsen Hardware and RV, your Central Minnesota Ice Castle dealer, and by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Join Brian Moon just after 7 Saturday mornings, Sunday evening at 7, and Monday mornings at 5 for another edition of Brainerd Outdoors right here on B93.3.